0: And good morning, church family, and grace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 9 through 18 together. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 404. I've entitled today's message, Rebuilding Godly Households. We'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this text. Let's bow together. Our Lord, as we start this new year together, we want to glorify you as a church, and we want to glorify you as Christian households. And so, Lord, as we study this passage today, we ask that you would work its message into our hearts that you would light a fire under us that you would help us especially the heads of households here that you would light in us a desire to be spiritual leaders to raise our children and our grandchildren in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord 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 May your spirit come and do this work in us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we witnessed Israel's first corporate worship service since Nehemiah's return. And it was a beautiful scene, my favorite in the entire book. We saw that the whole congregation of Israel gathered for this event. Men, women, and children, about 40,000 people in total. And they stayed together from early morning until midday. And as the service began, Ezra the scribe ascended this great wooden platform built for the purpose. And he took a copy of the scriptures with him. And the congregation watched as Ezra opened the scriptures before them. And when he did this, all the people just spontaneously rose to their feet. And then Ezra led the congregation in prayer. And he said, thank you, God, for bringing us back from our exile. And thank you, God, for helping us rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And he said, thank you, God, for giving us the scriptures so that we might know you and know your will for us. And as he prayed to God, all of the congregation of Israel said, amen, amen. That meant, yes, Lord, we affirm everything that Ezra is saying to you. And then Ezra read from the scriptures, and the congregation listened. And he expounded the scriptures so they could understand its meaning. And Ezra did this from the platform while The Levites and other religious leaders panned out into this great congregation. They wanted to make sure that everyone could hear the scriptures and could understand. And so they repeated Ezra's words to all of the people. It was a remarkable event in Israel's history. Chapter 8, verse 8 says that all the people understood the scriptures as a result of this service. Well, now in today's text, friends, we're going to see the spiritual impact that God's Word had on this great congregation, and especially the impact that it had upon their family life. And as we work through this passage together, we're going to learn an important lesson about families. We're going to see that strong families are built on a spiritual foundation. They're built on a spiritual foundation and that they are led by godly dads. I want to explore this with you today, beginning with the first part of that statement, that strong families are built on a spiritual foundation. We see this in verses 9 through 12. Allow me to read those verses to you. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. These verses give us Israel's reaction to the worship event. And we see two major themes arising from these verses. First is the theme of repentance. You see, as the congregation of Israel listened intently to the word of God, their collective conscience was pricked. And that's because God's word had confronted them with all of their moral failings. As Ezra read the scriptures and then explained it to them, they understood the holiness of God. And they understood that from the the founding of their nation to the present time, God had always been faithful to them. He was a covenant-keeping God. And every last word of his promises, he had fulfilled. But then they also learned some things about themselves. They learned how they were breaking their covenant. They realized that this is why they had been sent into exile. It's because they had turned aside to other gods and they had descended into every form of depravity. But then they learned how God, in His grace and in keeping with His promises, had regathered them back into the Holy Land once more. And as they learned about all of this, their consciences were just struck. They realized their, their own sinfulness. And this caused them to experience genuine repentance. And we see the... the Words of repentance throughout this text, there is mourning and weeping and and grieving. And friends, all of this was good. It was all good because repentance is good for the soul. Now, our confession of faith explains repentance this way. It says repentance is an evangelical grace which means that genuine repentance is something that God himself works into our hearts in tandem with his word. So God brings his word to bear on our lives and he awakens us to the reality of our spiritual state before him. He he makes us aware of, of sin and then he prompts us to forsake that sin with godly sorrow for it and to pursue hard after him. Our confession says, through repentance, we are made sensible to the evils of our sins, and we humble ourselves for it with sorrow, and then we pray for pardon and strength of grace so that we can walk before God in a well-pleasing manner. This is what we are witnessing here on this day in Israel. People struck to the very core of their beings by the word of God. And experiencing the godly grief that comes when you realize you are not measuring up to God's standards for you. Friends, this is why we need regular, sustained exposure to God's word. See, the word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And we need the Word of God to do that spiritual excavation of us, to to mine out of us all that is, is not in line with God's will, to bring it before our eyes so that we can see it and then feel sorrow for it and forsake it, to resolve to live a new kind of life. Friends, this is how spiritual breakthroughs happen. It's through sustained interaction with the words of God and the Spirit of God working in tandem with His Word to bring that conviction to our hearts. This is how it happens. This is how the Word brings us to repentance. But then you also understand that God doesn't want us wallowing in grief either because that would be a denial of God's grace. If you were to experience sorrow for the sins the scriptures reveal to you, and then never get beyond the sorrow, if you were just to wallow in shame and and sadness, that would suggest that that he's not a God of grace, that he's not a God who delights to forgive those who repent of their sins, That, that he's not a God who delights to reconcile with people. And so, yes, we are called to experience the grief that the awareness of sin brings. But then once we have resolved to turn from it, once we've repented, God would have us to rejoice in our newfound fellowship with him, to rejoice in our pardon. And that's why we see the second theme in these verses, the theme of rejoicing. Verse 9, the religious leaders say to the congregation, Do not mourn or weep. Verse 10 says, do not be grieved, for the, Lord your, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11 says, this day is holy, do not be grieved. Look, it was good for them to feel grief for a moment, but it was not good for the grief to go on and on without end. No, it was time for them to turn the page, to go from grief to gladness, because God had forgiven them. It was time for them to move forward as a new nation. We have this interesting repetition of the words here, stop grieving because this is a holy day. This is a holy day. The Levites say a a variation of that three times in our text. You see, a holy day should be a happy day, not a sad day. And this was indeed a holy day. For the first time in decades, they had gathered together as a whole nation to hear the words of the living God. And they had prayed to God, they had listened to the scriptures read, they'd heard it expounded, they'd responded to the message with repentance and faith. This is what holy days are all about. They're about dwelling on the goodness of God and of our relation to Him. Yes, grief has a place on a holy day but that grief should turn quickly to joy so that's why we find the constant call here end your grief it's time to be happy holy days are happy days and this is the holiest day we've had in a long time see friends the life of faith is not a life of shame and guilt and grief and fear it's a life of basking in the saving grace of god in Christ verse 10 Ezra Nehemiah and the Levites suggest three ways that the people of Israel could turn their grief into joy on this holy day we see the first suggestion here verse 10 they're told to go back home and have a feast with their families They say, go your way. That means, look, the worship event is now over. It's time to go home. Be with your spouses. Be with your kids. Be with your grandkids. And then he says, and go eat the fat and drink sweet wine. That means I want you to go home now. Celebrate your forgiveness. Go to your fridge, I know they didn't have a refrigerator, but go to your fridge, pull out the best meat that you have, and feast on it, and take out your sweet wine, which in the ancient Near East was wine mixed with honey, the best wine available. You take out the sweet wine, and you enjoy this time with your family. Have a celebration. This is a happy day, not a sad day. And then second part of verse 10, it says, And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So you, you families, make sure that your neighbors have food to celebrate too. It wouldn't do for anybody, for anybody to go without on a happy day like this. So you go, prepare your best food. Check on your neighbors. Make sure they've got food too. If they don't, share what you have with them. And then finally, rejoice in God as a family this day. As your family enjoys the culinary riches that God has blessed you with, you be sure to bask in your spiritual riches as well. That's what they were telling the Israelites to do on this day. See, friends, of all the joys in life, there is no greater joy than having a clear conscience before God. To know that there is nothing standing between you and your God. He is yours. You are His That when he looks at you, he sees no sin. He sees only you. You, clothed in the righteousness of his Son. To know that all is well between you and your God. Every sin has been washed away. To know that you have an inheritance waiting for you. Kept in heaven for you. Oh, there's no greater joy than that. To know that you are one of God's saints. One of his holy ones. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, Holiness is the royal road to happiness. The death of sin is the life of joy. And so on this day, the religious leaders of Israel said to the whole congregation Listen, you are God's holy people. You've been washed and cleansed, so go home and have a feast, celebrate, enjoy the riches that God has granted to you. And then we also see here that the key to a happy family life is a family that has been made holy in repentance and faith, to have a household filled with members who have been convicted by the Word of God, who have expressed their repentance to Him, and who can now rejoice together as a redeemed household, just as, just as these households got to enjoy their new spiritual life oh what a joy it is friends to be a part of a household where every member mom dad the kids the grandkids the extended family where everyone in the household knows and loves the lord and to be able to enjoy that spiritual bond in addition to the bond of blood that is there between them there is no greater joy than that See, friends, strong families are built on a spiritual foundation, foundation of repentance and faith and spiritual rejoicing. But then we also see in our text today that strong families are led by godly parents. They are led by godly parents and especially by godly dads. Let's begin in verse 13. It says, And on the second day, okay, so the the day of worship was the first day. This is the day after that. On the second day, notice this, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Now, something really special is going on right here. You see, Israel has just had this... Incredible worship event where the whole congregation of Israel gathered and they heard God's word and responded to it And then they went home. They had their celebrations. They went to bed that night. Now this is the next morning and this new day You've got all of these dads all over Israel all of these dads Who are saying wasn't that amazing yesterday? to see God work in the lives of our families. And these dads said, we can't can't let this come to an end. We can't lose the gains that we made yesterday. They say to themselves, we've got to keep up this momentum. And so you've got all of these dads of their own initiative all going back to Ezra the next day, and meeting with Ezra, and with Nehemiah, and the religious leaders, and saying, teach us more. Okay? We, we want to study God's word under your mentorship. We want everything that you can give us, and then we're going to take it back home, and we're going to share it with our wives and our kids, so we can keep this spiritual revival going. That's what we see in this text. Now friends, I realize that we live in a broken world today, And in a broken world, there will be many households without a godly dad. Maybe the dad died in a terrible accident or of a disease, or maybe the family was torn apart by divorce. Maybe the dad is just not a believer. All kinds of reasons why a home can be without a spiritually active father. Friends, in those cases, it's up to moms to take up the mantle of spiritual leadership and to make sure that her children are being raised in the nurture of the Lord. And I thank God for every household that has a spiritually vibrant mother who is seeing to it that her kids are raised under the words of God. I thank God for for my own mom who took the lead in taking me and my sister to church every Sunday, making sure that we learned the ways of God. But, friends, you also understand that the scriptural ideal is to have households with active and godly dads. Dads who strive to understand God's word. And on this day in Israel's history, the nation was teeming with them. Verse 13 says, They came to Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. The New American Standard Bible says, They gathered to gain insight into the scriptures. I think that's a a good rendering of the Hebrew text here. They were coming for the purpose of gaining spiritual wisdom. Ezra, give us more of God's word and help us to know how exactly it applies to our family life, how it applies to our nation. See, having been transformed by God's word the day before, they were eager, eager to implement all that they could of God's word in their lives dads this is your job and I can't emphasize enough how important it is yes you need to work hard to put a roof over your kid's head and to put food on their table and and yes you should teach your kids how to ride a bike and help them with their homework and all of those things those are so important too But dads, don't neglect your responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home and to take it upon yourself to raise your kids in the instruction of the Lord. To be this kind of a dad, you're going to have to first be a man of the word yourself. That means you're going to have to, with God's help, find the motivation to be God's kind of a man, to study his word on your own initiative. And then out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life, you will raise your children. You'll say, "Kids, this is what God is doing in me. Now let me show you how you can live for God too. A dad who leads his kids in prayer and Devotions who reads the scriptures to them and provide sound biblical wisdom when they need it. We need these kinds of dads. Dads who are striving to understand God's word so that they can take it back to their families. We need dads who are making spiritual discoveries from God's word. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. It says, And they found, this is the, all the dads, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy branches to make booths as it is written. Okay? So these fathers, they're all meeting with Ezra and other religious leaders to get grounded in the faith. And as they study the scriptures with Ezra, these dads discover a festival, a festival which God had prescribed for Israel called the Festival of Booths, or sometimes called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. They were completely ignorant of this festival. But as they dig into God's word together, as dads, with good mentors, they rediscover the festival. Now, what exactly is a booth? It's a festival of booths. Well, a booth is just a little shelter made out of leaves and branches. And the festival of booths was an annual event prescribed for Israel in the Law of Moses, Its purpose was to commemorate Israel's wilderness wanderings. Remember, when they were rescued out of Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness before making it into the Promised Land. Well, during that wilderness wandering, they lived in homemade shelters, tents, things like this. The Festival of Booths commemorated those wanderings for one week beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month each year, every Israelite family was supposed to give up the comforts of home and to live in a homemade booth just as their ancestors had done. This would remind them of how God provided for them throughout their wanderings and how God is providing for them still. And it was meant to inspire their trust in God, to know that God would always look after them, that he'd always be there to lead and to guide them. And on this day, these fathers in Israel discovered the festival of booths as they were studying the scriptures, and as they looked on their calendars, they realized that this festival was supposed to be celebrated in less than two weeks. We know from the beginning of the chapter that they're already in the second day of the seventh month. The festival's on the 15th day of the 7th month. They've got less than two weeks to pull this festival off. So what are they going to do? Well, the spiritually immature would make excuses, and they would say, oh boy, a week-long festival. Let's put that on next year's calendar. We'll be sure to observe it. But there's no way we can pull this off in 13 days. That's what the immature would do. But remember, these dads are on fire. Okay, They just attended this grand corporate worship event. They have had this fire lit underneath them. They have been spending all this time with Ezra, trying to lead their families. And they discover this. There's no way they're going to let this slide for a year. So they look at the festival. They say, okay, we've got less than two weeks to pull it off. We better get to work. Yeah, we just built an entire wall for an entire city. And we just had this massive worship event. But let's go ahead and plan for a giant festival too. They got right to work and they did so promptly and with rejoicing and with precision. Look at verse 16. It says, so the people went out. And brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. So back in that day, roofs were flat, so that made a good spot for a little homemade shelter. Others made them in their courts, so some people had little yards. They built their little shelters there in the yard. And for others, in the courts of the house of God, that's the temple court. And for others, in the square at the water gate, east side of the city. And in the square at the gate of Ephraim, west side of the city. So anywhere they could find a nice big open space. Rooftops, backyards, temple courtyards, the courtyards around the main gates of the city, anywhere they could find an open space. Families all over Jerusalem started building these little ramshackle huts to live in for seven days. It says they did so with great rejoicing That's verse 17. They did so with great rejoicing. You see, not only was this festival fun, but they were so happy to be rebuilding their national life. It says, All the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nunke, that's just another spelling of Joshua, successor to Moses, from the days of Joshua to their time, The people of Israel had not done this festival properly. It had been centuries since it had been done right. Oh, and they were so excited, so excited to be following the scriptures with this new spiritual life burning inside of them, and now they're fulfilling the terms of their covenant with God. There was great rejoicing on this day. And then look at verse 18. It says, And day by day, from the first day to the last, he, that's Ezra, read from the book of the law of God. So every day of the festival, the scriptures were being read. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So after the festival is over, it's time for another national worship service. And they held that service according to the rule, so exactly as the scriptures prescribed. My friends, strong nations are built on strong families. And strong families are led by godly dads. And on this day in Israel's history, the nation was coming back to life because their households had been rebuilt on spiritual foundations. And because they had dads all over the nation, <coughs> excuse me, taking it upon themselves to learn God's Word, to make discoveries from His Word, and then to take those discoveries back to their wives and their kids and their grandkids, and to implement every last letter of God's Word. So dads, I'm going to pick on you this morning. Let me ask you, how's it going? What kind of leadership are you providing in your homes? Does your family look to you as the spiritual leader of your home? Are you known for having spiritual gravitas? Gravitas. Well, if not, here's what it's going to take to become that kind of a man. First, it's going to take regular participation in public worship. Regular participation in public worship. And I say that because that's how Nehemiah chapter 8 begins. It's a public worship service, and that is what lights the fire under these dads to go back to their homes and to become spiritual leaders. So dads, if you want to be a spiritual leader in your household, you have got to make public worship a priority. And I know I'm speaking to the choir here because you're all in worship right now, but I know that over time the temptation can arise to just sleep in or to make excuses and to become lax in your commitment to worship Oh dads, I cannot envision a scenario where your family will be spiritually better off by your absence in church. And I know that times can arise when you have to be away. Some of you are first responders every other weekend. You've got to be out manning the hospital, or you've got to be making your your police rounds. Things like that are going to happen. But we cannot allow ourselves to get into a long-term weekly habit of missing out on public worship because it's going to begin there. You're going to hear the Word of God read and and sung and prayed and expounded, and it's going to do something inside of you. I've heard this testimony from more than one man in our church They've said, you know, Pastor, I was feeling kind of spiritually uh, lethargic, and then I started coming more consistently to worship on Sundays, and it has changed my life. I've heard this from our dads. They say, it changed my life, and now I'm a bold witness at work, and now I'm being a better dad to my kids, and they testify to the impact that Sunday morning worship is having on them. So dads, if you want to be spiritual leaders in your home, let it begin by your family seeing you prioritize worship with your church family. And then dads, it's also going to take a deep commitment to personal Bible study and to study the Word of God under trusted mentors. So we see this in our text. The dad's going to Ezra, to the other religious leaders of Israel, because they want to be well-grounded in the Scriptures, and they need someone with more knowledge than them to help guide the process. Friends, we can do that today. You have pastors available to you that would love to to meet with you one-on-one, or you could take advantage of the small group opportunities we have. We have midweek opportunities that Pastor Scott and I lead. We have a monthly men's breakfast where we discuss the virtues of biblical manhood. We have growth groups classes where you can be in a smaller setting and have teaching and a question and answer. There are lots of opportunities for you To go beyond the worship service to get grounded in sound theology and in the virtues of manhood. There are sound Bible commentaries and sound preachers that you can download and listen to throughout the week. Many ways that you can take advantage of spiritually mature men and their teaching ministries and get yourself spiritually grounded. This is what it's going to take, dads, a commitment to worship, a commitment to discipleship, and then a commitment to leading your families to walk in lockstep with the scriptures. And this is not something you can just manufacture. It will come out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. As you come to know and love God more, you will feel your commitment to Him grow. As your commitment grows, you will want the people that you love to know God and to love God and to be committed to God with you. Naturally, it will arise from you, prompting you to make Sunday morning a priority and then to get your kids discipled in in classes and, and other activities and to do the work yourself from home. Dads, this is your job. This is the kind of men we need you to be. The kind of dads we need you to be. Now more than ever, we need men who are willing to be spiritual leaders in their homes. We need men like Joshua, who said to the people of his generation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need men like Ezra and Nehemiah who are willing to face all kinds of opposition and threats but it meant so much to them to lead God's people that they were willing to endure it all for the sake of God's name and for the spiritual good of their nation. We need men like the dads that we witness here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Dads who want to learn God's word and then take it back to their families and to teach their wives and their kids. This is what we need in our day. May God give us godly men. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for this text, and please use it in our lives. Help us, Lord, to develop godly households. Lord, thank you so much for the households led by a godly woman. Thank you for her influence, and please, Lord, prosper her work. Prosper the work of our moms. And Lord, I also pray for our dads, that you would help them, Lord, to see that they are called to be the spiritual leaders in their homes. Help them, Lord, to take that work seriously. Help them, Lord, to step into leadership in their church so their family can see their love for you and your cause. And help them to take everything they learn from their local church back home with them as they minister to their wives and to their kids. Lord, help our grandparents to have a deep influence on their grandchildren so that the faith of Christ might be perpetuated to the next generation. Lord, give us spiritual zeal. Give us a multi-generational vision. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.